Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University, and I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm very excited to have Dr. Christina Yao, who is program director and now associate professor um, at the University of South Carolina as our guest. So, Christina, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And much congratulations on uh, tenure and promotion. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. All right. So before we get into your work and your career, um, this is a chance for us to kind of expand our networks and find out places of intersection and connection. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are outside of work? So hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to, who is who is Christina when she's not on campus and in the classroom? Yeah, when I'm not Christina on campus in the classroom, I spend a lot of time on my couch <laughs> watching Netflix. Uh, one of my favorite things to do, especially on the weekends, just to kind of decompress and not think too much, right? Some of the things I'm watching, um, I just recently finished uh, The Chair, which I know in higher ed, a lot of people have been talking about, a lot of people watched it, and I, I definitely have opinions about it, and I don't want to put any spoilers out there, but uh, it's it's not necessarily a leisure activity because so much of it really resonates with what real life is and academia and everything. But I thought it was a really interesting show and, and I really enjoyed that. Um, some other hobbies and things that I've been doing, I really like to bake. So I consider myself an amateur baker. Uh, one of the best things about uh, being stuck in a pandemic is that you have a lot of time to bake, right? A lot of time to kind of do things that you normally wouldn't have a lot of time to do. And so I feel like I perfected my cinnamon roll recipe. Ooh, so that's nice. my yeah, that's my that's my claim to fame right now that I perfected my cinnamon roll recipe and I've learned how to make croissants from scratch, uh, which oh. I've done a few times. Um, but there's so much butter in them that I don't I don't do it too often mm. because like it's just literally if you ever um, watch croissants being made or ever made them, it's literally layer after layer of butter, which makes them so delicious. So but yeah, those are a few things that I that I do outside of outside of work. So I have a follow-up question. Um, do you watch baking shows on TV? And if so, if you could compete on one of them, which one would you want to be on? Oh, 100%. Well, I can't, but it'd be the Great British Baking awesome. Show. It's yeah. my favorite uh, because it is just, it's just so gentle, right? It's just so gentle and the, the contestants help each other and everything. And it's just, uh, and I, I love that so much. And so I consider maybe being on the Great great American baking show, but it's not quite as good as the British one. Mm -hmm. I'm also a Top Chef fanatic. And so I don't know if you if you watch it, but they just came out with Top Chef amateurs. And I'm like, hmm, maybe in a couple of years, you know, I'll keep refining my skills and everything. And maybe I'll audition for that. Awesome. I love that. Oh, um, one thing I did recently put in an application for, I'm just going to tell everybody because hopefully I'll get in. A friend and I just put in an application just yesterday to Supermarket Sweep. So, oh, very cool. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, so fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you. I can say I knew her when. That's right. When I'm running around <laughs> grabbing like hunks of meat and cheese to try to get my, you know, tally up my, my, uh, the amount and everything. So, perfect. Well, good luck. Thank you. Um, thanks a lot for sharing a little bit about who you are. Um, can you talk a little bit about specifically your journal, your journey into and through higher education and how you got where you are today? 
Yeah, well, um, once I stepped foot on a college campus, I never really left, um, which I think is sometimes a lot of the, a similar story with a lot of people who work in student affairs, higher education, and maybe um, continued on as administrators or as faculty. Um, I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which was a huge shock um, because I was born and raised in Savannah, Georgia. And so um, um, I actually remember the very first time I had to walk through, um, not even necessarily the snow, but really like the really icy sidewalk. I did have a small moment where I considered transferring because I was like, I don't think I can go through another winter or like four more winters of getting through this, but got through it, which was fine. Um, went straight through and got my master's in higher ed at Loyola University, Chicago. So stayed, stayed in the winter for a few more years and everything. Um, worked for several years in residence life and student housing at Washington University in St. Louis and then at Southern Methodist University. Um, I actually didn't have a housing background at all until I graduated. Um, it was something where I felt like I wanted some experience in. And honestly, the perks of being able to live on campus and not have to worry about finding a place to rent and utilities and all of those things. Um, it was a great experience. Um, I always think that every student affairs professional should have one live-in experience just to see what it's like and to get that experience and everything. But um, super amazing. I don't. I don't want to go back to it. I don't ever need to be on call again. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with all of that stuff. But again, it was um, uh, a great learning opportunity. And then um, it got to a point where um, after about seven years working as a professional that I realized it was about time for me to go get my doctorate. Um, and I wasn't sure at that time if I wanted to be faculty, if I want to stay as an administrator, but I knew that um, for me that I was unable to keep moving up in student affairs without a doctorate or that a doctorate would help me, um, especially for you know somebody who identifies as a woman of color, you know, a daughter of immigrants, all of that. Like I was like, okay, this will help kind of push me through maybe a little bit more. Um, so ended up doing my doctorate in higher adult and lifelong education at Michigan State University, uh, which was one of the best experiences that I had. I mean, what a great experience to be able to go back full time. You know, it's almost like being back in undergrad. Um, as one of my friends said, I don't know if I can say this, but as one of my friends said, she's like, it's like being an undergrad, but with better quality alcohol. I was like, yes, we can actually drink like you know, name brand beers and stuff like that. So, um, and yeah, and so um, partway through my first year, I, I just decided like, you know what, I think I want to be faculty. Like, I really love the the research aspect. You know, I like the teaching and and kind of that engagement piece with the students in a different way than being a practitioner. And so uh, graduated, I did five years as a faculty member at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and then had the opportunity to come a little bit closer to home here. Um, my family's in Savannah, Georgia, like I mentioned, and back here in South Carolina. So I'm happy to be here in my starting my third year right now. Wonderful. So a last question, and then I'll get to sort of the script. Um, we always talk about how student affairs is a small field and you know people or you know people who know people. So would you, I used to say, who is someone um, and a lot of people say, well, there are a lot of people. So who are some people that have been particularly instrumental in your experience and sort of inspired you to achieve some of the things that you've achieved or you just knew had your, your back if you faced a challenge? Who, who comes to mind for you? You know, I think, I think one person, well, there's several people, right? 
Um, and in very different ways, um, because I do, I mean, I think this question is great because I think you're a hundred percent right that, you know, with every connection that you make with somebody, you just never quite know what'll come out of that, right? Or, or that down the road that you'll have these, um, that, you know, there's um, mentoring or, you know, they just connect you with a job or with people and things like that. I mean, I would say, you know, if I can go all the way back to, you know, my number one would be um, my grandmother, my mom's mom back in the day, you know, she, um, she grew up in Shanghai, uh, left Shanghai uh, with the whole, with the cultural revolution and everything and went with her family over to Hong Kong, which is where my, my parents are from. Uh, you know, they were born and raised there in a British colony and everything. Um, but my grandmother, you know, back in the day, she was a teacher, uh, which was quite unheard of. Um, you know, for a woman, for a Chinese woman, right? Um, a very patriarchal society and everything like that. And she had a degree in teaching. And so, you know, she always talked a lot about teaching and about how important it was. And I, and I remember, you know, when I got into education, um, you know, with my master's degree, she, um, she said to me, she goes, oh, I really love that you're in education, that you're kind of following my footsteps. She goes, you know, one of the best things about being a teacher is that you'll have as many students as there are stars in the sky. And I'm like, oh, that's so meaningful, right? And to me, I think, you know, that was probably the moment where I was like, oh, education as a thing, like that's, that's important, right? And meaningful. And, and how, how cool is it that I can kind of follow in the footsteps of one of the only ones actually in my family to follow in the footsteps of my grandmother who, um, who was an educator and everything. Um, but, you know, but getting back to also that we're also connected. I mean, I would say most recently, um, even how I heard about this job here at University of South Carolina was two of my very good friends who I actually met at through um, ACPA, way back in the day uh, when I was a professional, like I think we met in like 2003 or 2004 or something like that. Uh, they are graduates of the HESA program here at University of South Carolina and we stayed in touch and everything and they got the job posting through the alumni listserv and they forwarded it to me like, hey, we know this is closer to home. Like, why don't you take a look at this? Like, take a look. And so even, you know, I think that's a great example of even like, you know, a friend of yours or a colleague of yours that you meet 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden, you know, there's always that connection and that things might help lead you down that path into whatever the next piece of your journey may be. I love that. Yeah. And it is, it is amazing how those relationships, they don't ever really go away. You know, they change, you know, depending on proximity and what life looks like, but that's great. Well, good. Thank you very much for sharing. I really appreciate that. Um, so when you think about your faculty role, what's your philosophy as a teacher and an instructor? What, what do you bring into the classroom sort of as your foundational premises? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that I bring into the classroom, I think. Um, one is that I think about the classroom, and, I, and I'll say the classroom as a physical space or as a virtual space, uh, because, you know, I've taught online, taught in person and everything, and taught hybrid at this point. I think we've all taught a little bit of everything in the past couple of years, but is that, you know, I always go into class thinking, I never go in thinking like, oh, I'm the teacher, right? I have to like guide them through this or I have to like impart knowledge on them or anything like that. I try to go in thinking like, you know, I'm in a community of learners just like everybody else and that we're um, co-constructing knowledge together, right? We are thinking about things. We're reading the same thing. We're going to discuss the same thing. You know, maybe I'll pose a few questions or maybe, you know, I can 
you know, there's like a little bit of a facilitation maybe that happens and everything, but we're all kind of learning together. And so I always try to remind myself to kind of leave, um, kind of leave my head open in that sense and not get too rigid in, you know, okay, I read this and this is the point of the article. And this is the only way to understand it. Like I try to really um, go into the class and think about like, all right, let's expand that a little bit and let's construct this together and everything. I also think it's my role to, um, there's, there's, you know, when I think about, you know, equity and inclusion and justice in the classroom, I think of, of two specific ways of approaching that, right? I think one is that I, I have a very important role, especially for, um, I would say, you know, for my students of color, um, my students who are from minoritized identities, to be able to see me as, a, as an instructor, as a teacher, right? The visibility of knowing that, like, oh, I think she might kind of get it. She might have had similar experiences and everything. And for me to think about, you know, when I'm assigning readings or I'm bringing up case studies or have examples, is to think about things that are very relevant to a diverse population of students, right? So even thinking about, you know, the, the, the um, you know, the names that we might use in some of the case studies, like, does it always have to be like, Sarah and Michael, maybe not, right? We can change that up a little bit. Um, and, and also thinking about readings that I assign is like, how do I diversify that and bring in different perspectives, right? Different angles on the same topic. The other piece that I that I I feel like I'm responsible for related to like the equity inclusion justice piece is that um, it's also my job to kind of expand the views of some of my students who maybe have had what I would call a very traditional educational experience, right? We know that when we go through what like all the way from grade school all the way up through college and even into grad school, we end up reading a lot of things or talking about a lot of things that we say are very foundational. Well, what does that mean, right? It's from you know probably white men, white Christian men, especially when we talk about student affairs, uh, white Christian men from like the 60s, 70s. And, you know, we don't quite problematize that a little bit or think about like, who is this written for and who is it written about? And what are we trying to get out of that? And so even if I do assign these foundational pieces, we still have to kind of criticize that a little bit, right? And discuss it and critique it and be able to delve a little bit deeper than just that surface piece. And that's also what I feel like I'm trying to do with, you know, my students who just, you know, haven't really had to dig into the foundational pieces of things or who've never had to take that very critical lens of approaching education. Well, yeah, and I think that's a great point because I'll hear students say all the time they've never been asked to criticize what they're reading right. you know, or to take mm -hmm. issue with it. So um, excellent. Um, what about research? What are your areas of interest there? And if you have projects you're really excited about, you want to talk about that, would be great. Yeah, I would say um, there's probably three areas of research that I do. Um, one is on international student mobility. Uh, that is actually from uh, my dissertation that I worked on years ago and just kind of stuck with it. Uh, my mom was an international student from Hong Kong to the United States. And so um, that was my, that's my connection to it. Uh, you know, hearing a lot about her experiences here and it's still very similar and relevant to um, international students' experiences now, which is kind of troubling, right? It's been, a, it's been you know, 40 some years at this point. So, uh, but things are still kind of the same. Um, another area of research would be on transnational education. Um, I've done a, a few projects in uh, Vietnam, collaborative projects in Vietnam about how students at transnational universities, which are partnerships with between the Vietnamese government and other governments such as the German, uh, French and Japanese governments, uh, how they kind of, you know, navigate 
um, different ways of learning. And then all the instruction is done in English too, but it's all in Vietnam. So trying to navigate through that a little bit. And the third piece would be about scholar practitioner um, preparation, um, particularly within global context. So, you know, how are student affairs professionals trained to work with um, international students? How are doctoral students um, prepared to maybe conduct um, global research or international research and things like that? Um, but the project I'm probably the most excited right now about um, that I'm literally about to launch pretty soon with a with a co-PI um, is um, one related to international student mobility. And um, we got a Spencer Small grant, which is super exciting, um, but it's really about um, understanding how um, Asian international students um, view and understand their positioning within US discourse. Um, what we've seen, especially in the past couple of years, I guess, at this point, um, is that um, Asian students were really kind of considered as a scapegoats, right? When we think about um, the COVID pandemic and everything like that, right? Like, think, and then also, uh, also view, being viewed as cash cows that, you know, like, oh, we're, we're, we have a drop in numbers in international students from China. What are we going to do, right? So, so there's like kind of a tension of like, hey, society's like saying like, you're literally bringing a disease here, but yet institutions are saying, well, we're losing all this money and stuff, right? So there's this really interesting kind of um, tension that's going on there. And so that's kind of the, the next project that I'm working on and going to be launching uh, probably within a month or so. So wow. getting that moving. Yeah, it's exciting. Congratulations on the grant. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. So how do you decide? I'm sure you have both more invitations and more ideas than you have time in your life for. How do you choose your projects and, and sort of still leave time for Netflix and baking and all of those kinds of things? Well, no matter what, I always leave time for baking, Netflix. I also love to travel and I'm hoping that pretty soon that we'll be able to, you know, travel, <laughs> travel again and everything like that. But, you know, to me, it's really important that I take those breaks no matter what. And so typically I don't really work on the weekends um, because I just don't, I don't want to. And honestly, I need the time to recharge and just to kind of like, you know, let my brain just kind of relax a little bit and everything like that. So, um, but as far as like projects and um, other, other things that come up, um, you know, I, when I first started as a faculty member, you know, on the, on the tenure track, I think there was a lot of pressure to, you know, like, oh, you got to make a name for yourself. Like, oh, you have to say yes to everything. And if somebody asks you that, that means that they, they, you know, they value your contribution and that you have to say yes and everything. And, and honestly, you know, especially as an early career faculty member, it was very much like, all right, I get to put this on my CV. I get to talk about this and I get to put this in my annual review stuff and everything. Um, and it got to a point, to be honest, after, after about, maybe my third year or so that I was like, I can't keep doing this. You know, I'm tired and I'm just doing kind of everything out there and that's not okay. And so now when I think about, you know, what projects come on and what, what's reasonable is that I think a lot about like, one, is it really tied to what I do, right? So tied to like specifically my research area, like does this fall under my purview? Um, is this something that, you know, also as program coordinator, is this something that I need to do, you know, whether it's, you know, participating in some type of like association stuff or whatever, things like that. Um, and so just making sure that it's really connected to um, what I value as far as whether it's like my research, my teaching, right, my scholarship, I'll say, whether it's connected to my scholarship or also very much connected to, like to my values and stuff. 
Like I'll say even last year, you know, with all the stuff that was happening with a lot of like the anti-Asian sentiment. I mean, I got a lot of requests like, hey, can you facilitate this? Can you be in this? Can you do this? And everything like that. And honestly, at the moment, I was like, man, I'm kind of tired. I'm tired and I'm tired of talking about this. And I'm tired of like constantly, you I mean, you kind of get re-traumatized, right? Every time you talk about it and every time you think about like, oh, people are going down the street and like, you know, hitting like old Asian grandparents, like those could be my old Asian grandparents and stuff, right? But then I also remind myself, like, look, this is also part of what I signed up for as far as like being being a scholar, being a academic, and also being somebody who's Asian American and grew up in this society. And like, yeah, I, I need to do this, right? So whether or not it's connected specifically to my research area or to my teaching, but it's still very much connected to my values and what I find very, very important. Um, and so a lot of times I'll try to make space for that. So that's usually kind of how I, I choose things. Um, I, I need to say no more often, to be really honest. Uh, it's really hard to say no, but um, I'm getting better at it. It is a practice, right? A practice. So working on it. Tenure may help with that as well. Maybe. maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, so what, what other sorts of things are you involved with? Either service activity or roles within, you mentioned, professional organizations? What, what do other work-related activities look like for you? Yeah, um, I actually have been pretty involved with ASH, the Association for the Study of Higher Education. Um, got pretty involved with that um, starting uh, in my when I was in my grad program and everything. Um, this past year, I was on the um, program planning committee, uh, which was a lot of fun. A lot of work, but a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun, especially to meet kind of other people and other colleagues around the country um, through that work. Um, and then most recently, I just won the election to be the vice chair for the um, Council uh, oh my gosh, Council of International Higher Education, CIHE, which is a council within ASH. And so um, I will be official starting in November. Um, but that is something that has, has come up. And um, just yesterday, the executive director was like, hey, just a reminder, as the vice chair, you're going to be on the program planning committee again next year to plan the pre-conference. I was like, oh, you know, at first I was like, oh, I thought I was going to get a break. And then I was like, oh, OK, that's fine. Like, it's cool. You know, again, reminding myself that it's great to work with, you know, other brilliant colleagues around the country and then also service to my association and everything like that, too. So. So that is one thing that'll be kind of rolling out pretty soon. Um, and the other thing that's keeping me a little bit busy right now, and hopefully some of our listeners might be interested in this, um, I'm going to be chairing a search. Um, we are going to be hiring for a clinical assistant slash associate professor in higher education uh, this year. And so I'm literally trying to put together the search committee and the job description and thinking about how can this be a meaningful position for somebody um, you know, who, who might be interested in a clinical faculty position. So that that is something that we are, that I am working on right now as we speak. Excellent. Yeah, it is uh, search season for committees and chairs it and all that. It so. is 100%. Mm -hmm. Very good. Hopefully you will have lots of brilliant and talented candidates. So. I am sure I will because there's a lot of really great talented people out there right now. So for sure. Yeah. Um, so when you think back to before you became a faculty member and kind of where you are now, what are some things that have surprised you about the role? Who, um, I will say this is going to, this will sound a little, a little depressing, maybe a little dark, but, um, I didn't realize, I, I thought after I graduated or finished my doctorate that it would get easier 
and it doesn't. Um, and this is, you know, a piece of advice I would give for anybody who is wanting the, the faculty route, you know, um, and everything is that um, I thought that, you know, that working on a PhD and working on a dissertation was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Um, and it was very hard. Don't get me wrong. Right. And we, we know that like it's difficult. It's like it's, it's isolating. It's like you're always in your brain and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but but I didn't realize that becoming a faculty member and I'll say this, becoming a faculty member, especially um, on the tenure track and at an R1, right? And so, so there's, you know, there's different requirements and different responsibilities depending on where you're at. But I didn't realize that like every single moment always felt like I was writing my dissertation again, where it was like, oh, I have to hurry up and publish, right? I have to publish, I have to publish. I have to write for grants. I have to do all of that. And so, um, so I think I thought that once I got my degree and I got into a faculty role, that everything would be easier and it wouldn't be quite like as intense. And that isn't necessarily true. Um, I also will say that um, you know, after a few years, I realized like, okay, it, it is intense, right? There's a lot going on, but there's also a lot of perks to being a faculty member, right? And, and, and being able to, to kind of balance all of that out and um, figure out how to manage all the responsibilities and things I want to do and have to do and everything. But, but, you know, one thing, you know, that I think about that um, surprised me about being a faculty member is um, also like how much, how similar it is to being like an entrepreneur, you know, to a certain extent, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, a lot of times you kind of manage your own time, right? You, you're, you're, you know, my schedule is kind of flexible. Like I can, you know, I can like, okay, like, you know, we talked about Costco earlier. Like if I need to go to Costco at one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, I can go if I don't have anything going on and stuff, which is great, right? That flexibility and everything. Um, but also like being an entrepreneur is also um, reminding myself like, oh, this is interesting because like, it's like, being an entrepreneur means like I'm kind of have a product to sell, right? And then I have to like think about like what is the product I'm selling? And I, and I came to a realization of like I'm the product I'm selling, right? I'm like trying to sell like my research, my ideas, like when I put in grant applications, when I do all of that and everything. And so uh, and so those are some things that I was like, oh, this is this is a little different than what I than what I thought I this is different than what I thought I saw as a grad student. And now I realize a lot of things like, like, for example, you know, when I was a grad student, I'd email a faculty member, you know, two months before the class start, like, hey, can I get a copy of your syllabus? There's no copy of the syllabus. You're barely, you're going to get a copy of the syllabus, maybe on the first day of class and stuff. And now, you know, I, I or like, hey, the semester is over. Can I schedule a meeting with you? The semester's not over. There's grading, right? We've got to get everything turned in. And so, uh, so even seeing the other side of now, you know, looking back, I'm like, ooh. I did those things and that was not cool, but now I know. And, and um, you know, and it's just a learning opportunity, right? And a learning experience, but, uh, but it's great. I think, I think being a faculty member is the best job in the world, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I love what you said, all of it. Hearing you say, um, and I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it's like you're still doing your dissertation no, I, I try to explain that to people because, you know, when you're doing your dissertation, if you do anything social, it, there's still that little voice in the back saying, well, shouldn't you be writing? And yeah. if you can learn to navigate that, I agree. I, I love this job. Um, but that little voice is always there going, well, there's one more thing you could be doing right now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's really good. Um, and I love the entrepreneurial framework of it. I haven't heard that before. I 
that makes so much sense. So awesome. So kind of with that in mind, what advice would you give to someone who maybe is in student affairs right now who's thinking, you know, maybe faculty is the way to go? Um, you talked about being willing to give up being on duty. So there's a perk right there. <laughs> yeah, huge perk, huge perk, yeah. What are some other things that you would you would talk to them about? You know, I think um, I think especially right, and and, and I'll, I'll own that I came from uh, Michigan State, which was you know again an R one right, and that, that a lot of times they track us into like faculty positions into tenure track research positions and everything like that. But no matter what, like get some of that teaching experience, right? Whether you're like a teaching assistant or a teaching apprentice or something like that. Um, you know, even if you're not a graduate student right now and you're a, a student affairs professional, you're like, you know what? I'd like to get a little bit of teaching experience. You know, ask a faculty member if you could be their like TA for a semester or could they, could you co-teach with them? Or even if you just kind of sit in and, and observe and, and just get some of that experience. Um, I think that um, what's always interesting to me is that um, the majority of college professors um, have never had any teacher training, right? They've never learned how to teach. And I would include that in many, um, many of the subfields within education, right? Like, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Like in my program, there was never a talk about like, oh, let's talk about how to be a good teacher, right? We took a teaching and learning class. We learned a lot about theories, right? We learned a lot about these are different frameworks and this is different ways of learning and all of that stuff. Um, but we never talked specifically about like how to teach and how to be an effective teacher. And so I think the more that you can kind of get into that a little bit and just whether it's observing, helping to teach, co-teaching, whatever, I think it just gives you some great experience and um, something to be able to reflect upon as you become a faculty member, right? And, and honestly, and you're, and you're um, you know, when you're interviewing for jobs, you're always going to have to talk about teaching. You always have to talk about your philosophy, right? You have to think about what is my philosophy as a teacher? You know, what does that mean? And how do I, how do I approach a classroom? You know, again, whether it's virtual or in-person or anything like that. Um, I would also say um, another piece, you know, if you're interested in, in being a faculty member is that, you know, again, think about like, you know, why, right? And think about what you want to do as a faculty member and what that means. Um, I think that for some people, for many people, they say, oh, well, I want to be a faculty member because I love to teach maybe, right? But if you're at a research institution, right, or one or two, there's a huge research component to it. Do you also love to research, right? Because, you know, in different institutions, that might be valued even more than the teaching, right? Um, so thinking about like what type of institution will um, be the best option for you, right? And where can, we, where can you really thrive and succeed at and everything like that? Um, and then, oh, there was another one that I had. And then I, of course, I kind of lost it. If you're interested in being a faculty member, um, hmm. You know, I, I think also, you know, just ask questions, right? Ask current faculty, like, how did you get to where, where you're at? Why do you do what you're at? Can you tell me a little bit about your, your, your typical not even a typical day, because I don't think we have a typical day, but what does a normal week look like, right? Or what does the academic cycle look like for you? You know, or, um, and, uh, you know, and another piece of advice I would give, you know, especially if you do become a faculty member, like, like I said, I have to take the weekends off, right? I have to build in those breaks of saying, and not feeling guilty about it and saying like, no, nah, I'm really just going to stay here and I'm going to watch a whole season of the Great British Baking Show. And I'm going to be all right with that. And, um, It'll be okay, you know? And the same thing with taking breaks you know, during the holidays or in the summers and things like that. Like, it's just so intense that we need to learn how to be able to 
kind of slow it down a little bit and not feel guilty about not always doing work. Because I think, again, like we talked about at the faculty member, it's just nonstop, right? Like you're always working your dissertation. You're, you could always be writing, you know, you could always be working on your teaching. You could always be doing more service and stuff. But I think, you know, a great skill to come into when you become a faculty member is just, you know, again, learning how to say no and learning how to prioritize. That's a huge, huge piece, you know? So like for me, if, I, if tomorrow I want to, or, or Sunday, I'm like, I want to make croissants. I'm going to prioritize that, right? I'm just going to do it. You can't interrupt me when I'm making croissants because then they won't rise. They won't do this or whatever. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. So, yeah. Well, and you also spoke earlier about connecting all the pieces, you know, mm -hmm. do they support each other? Does this align with the scholarship I'm trying to do? Does my service fit in and inform mm -hmm. my teaching and all of that? So, yeah, and I would also add one thing, and I think, you know, especially I think for a lot of doctoral students, um, there's always a hard push, or whether it's um, explicit, or I think more, more often it's implicit, oh, you have to go the faculty track, the faculty track, right? Like, if you get a doctorate, you should become a faculty member, and if you become a faculty member, you need to get a tenure track position, and then you have to go, you know, uh, you have to do your research, you have to do this, and there's all of that. And I, I don't believe in that, right? Like if you're somebody and you're like, you know what, I, maybe I'd like to be a faculty member, but maybe I want to, you know, adjunct, right? That's totally cool too. Like I think being a faculty member is not an end all be all. And I think what happens is a lot of times we take that on, um, especially when we're, when we're trying to get a faculty position, like that's what I want to be. And that's who I'm going to be. And that's, you know, it's kind of like you want that to be your identity and it doesn't have to be right. Even for us, like, it's not our, like, sure. It's our job, yeah. You know, and to a certain extent, we're walking around on campus. Yes, that's our identity. But you know what? When I walk down the street or I'm in Publix or whatever, nobody cares that I'm a faculty member. You know, nobody calls me Dr. Yao. Like, and especially when I go home to my family, like if there's any humbling experience, it's going to be going home to your family. They don't care that you've got these degrees and that, you know, all of that. It's just like, yeah, just go wash the dishes. Somebody needs to wash the dishes. <laughs> wash the dishes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, there are definitely um, things to keep us in check across. But yeah, I, I love the idea of, and I think, you know, when you get a PhD or a terminal degree, um, it does seem like the push is mm -hmm. R1 tenure track position. And there are lots of different ways to use the knowledge you get from the program. So I love it. Mm -hmm. All right. So what have I not asked you about that you want to talk about? Man, what do I want to talk about that we've not talked about? Um, I don't know if there's anything specific. Well, I mean, actually, I'll, I'll bring up a little bit about, uh, you know, our conversation before before we started recording is that, you know, some of the current issues that are happening, you know, in higher ed and in student affairs is that I, I, it looks like, you know, with this pandemic, it's really illuminated, um, how do I say it, illuminated some of the cracks that we've had, I think, in higher education and student affairs. And I, I see a lot of shifting, right, shifting of, of position, shifting of, you know, philosophy, shifting of, you know, the mindset and stuff like that. And uh, I'm just, I'm really interested to kind of see how, how this goes mm -hmm. and interested, you know, and I'd love for people to give feedback on this, like, you know, what, like, what do we need to do as a, as a um, graduate preparation program of preparing our students for the reality of what higher ed looking like now? Yeah, I, um, I was in housing for quite a while and then student conduct and, you know, talking with students or alums about working in housing. I used to know something about it. And now I'm like, it is so different. Mm -hmm. I, I still know some stuff, 
but I'm far from an expert on what that's like. And I think you're absolutely right. Looking ahead, how do we anticipate what's unanticipatable, you know, and right. how do we prepare students for that? So yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been wonderful. You know, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation and um, it's just been very exciting to get to know you a little. I mean, you're right down the road from where I am in Clemson and we've had a few exchanges, but great to get to know you. And um, yeah, hopefully we can get this out and promote your position and, uh, you know, just get your wisdom into the world to different audiences. So um, I just want to, I guess one final question I have before I do the wrap up is, so we're in tough times right now. What, what are some things that are giving you hope? Man, what are some things that are giving me hope? You know, I, we are in some really rough times right now, right? I mean, definitely the pandemic, right? We can see, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, the, um, the, the racial, you know, protests and uprisings and visibility, right? For lack of a better word, that happened last summer, which was much needed. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had, you know, I mean, even more recently, you see what's happening, we see what's happening in Afghanistan, right? We see, you know, or even right now in New Orleans with a hurricane and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, honestly, like sometimes, some days I'm like, oh my gosh, is it going to get better? Like what's going on? And like, um, but you know, for me, I, I do have that critical hope that things will get better. Uh, I have hope in, in people, right. That people, people will do what's right or, uh, people will do what's best for the community, I guess, is what I would say, maybe not so much what is right, because, you know, I think there are different opinions about that, and everybody always thinks they're doing what's right, um, but but I do think that, um, you know, even though, to a certain extent, we're a very, like, individualistic society, I do get hope from, I think, I'm seeing a little bit more collectivism, and collectivism and moving towards, you know, how can we make things better, right, whether it's uh, making things better, you know, just from a, a smaller perspective of like, all right, how do we, how do I, you know, how do we influence like the students that we have in our program? Like the faculty and I talk about that, like, what are we doing and how do we do this and how do we make this the best experience possible, right? I think about even like with my research collaborators, like, okay, we're doing this research, but then what, right? Like, is this going to help influence policy? How do we get it out there so practitioners are reading this and things like that? But, um, but anyway, but, you know, for me, I think that that um, thinking more about that collective mindset and how do we move forward as a community and as a society and, and do this work. And I, and I see we're inching in that direction, right? Uh, but um, yeah, we definitely have more work to do, but I, I'm hopeful that we are moving in that direction. I love the number of times you used the word we when you were talking, because it really is, it's, mm -hmm. it's about us coming together and, and working in community with each other, so. 100%. Well, Christina, thank you again so much. It's really been a pleasure to um, learn about you. And I've been jotting notes as you've been talking. And um, But thank you for your time. I know it's busy for everyone. And I just appreciate you being here today. Thank you. I appreciate being here. All right. Well, today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA. And we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe at the University of South Florida. Jen, you're the best. Thank you, as always, for your support and collaboration. Um, a quote I would like to leave you with today um, comes from the Stoics and their way of thinking, the obstacle is the way. 
And so we are in difficult times and there are plenty of obstacles, um, but they don't necessarily close off a path. They just encourage us to find other paths forward. So um, best of luck to everyone and definitely sending thoughts out to the communities in Louisiana impacted by the hurricane. Thanks for mentioning that, Christina. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.